Years ago, I read a devotional book by uh, Dr. Sidwell Baxter. He was an Australian-born pastor who received his Doctor of Divinity degree from Central Baptist Seminary in Toronto. His devotional book was called Awake My Heart. Maybe some of you know. I don't know. It's really, really old. Anyway, I read it years ago, but the one that one devotional that struck stuck to me was his January 1st devotional book with the call to behold the mountain tops. It was striking. I've never forgotten it, and I want to share with you something of what he, so I want to give credit to him for the ideas that come out of this. Um, obviously, I'm going to expand on what he wrote in his devotional. So the mountaintops above the haziness of life. Think about that. That brings us to our scripture reading from Genesis chapter 7. And this picture will be up so that you can, you can reflect on it and think about it as I'm preaching uh, from Genesis chapter 7 beginning at verse 11 through chapter 8, verse 5. That's the story of the flood and the saving of believing Noah and his family. And of course, prior to chapter 7, God has already judged the earth and has said, this is what's going to happen. And that's what we pick it up in Genesis 7. And before we open God's word, would you pray with me? <coughs> Father in heaven, as we enter a brand new year and a brand new decade, we are grateful that we can stop and that we can open your word and hear what it is that the Spirit says to the church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Give us strength. Give us encouragement as we leave this place and as we go into this year so that it may truly be a happy new year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 7 of Genesis, beginning at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark, the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the waters. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than twenty feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. 
Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the top of the mountains became visible. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, despite the 19 or 2019 occasions of floods in such places as Toronto and Quebec or New Brunswick or parts of the U.S. or Indonesia, I don't think anyone can imagine what Noah and his family must have experienced as water poured from the sky and as the ground opened up and spewed out water. When people today are warned about an upcoming flood, there is usually time to get away to higher ground and there's usually somewhere to go, but it's hard to imagine what the people were experiencing in Noah's day as the water rose and rose and rose and rose and there was no place to go. It must have been in the full sense of the word an awful event. Of course, it was an event that was precipitated by the sinfulness of the human race. In Genesis 6, verse 5 and following, we read, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Imagine. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And what happened next is well known to us as we read that God told Noah to build an ark and to make sure that two of every sort of animal be moved into that ark, as well as Noah and his family. They would be preserved so that they could resettle and repopulate the earth once the flood had gone. Now it's not known how exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark, but it was quite the construction project, at least according to all the measurements given in chapter 6. And for the time that it took to build the ark on dry ground, the people around must have wondered what was happening. And there were probably those who figured that Noah was a mental case, despite the warnings that must have continually flowed from the lips of Noah and his family. But all the warnings about the impending judgment, the impending flood, apparently were not enough to persuade anyone to join Noah. No one 
repentance. And then the day came when the rain started to fall and the ground opened up. God's word of judgment came to reality, but not before everyone and every being was shut into the ark. Every chosen one was shut into the ark. Then the water came on the earth from all directions, chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were opened. The rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. It's incredible. Sometimes the children's songs that have been written about the flood, you know, floody, bloody, ark, no, muddy, muddy, arky, arky, all that kind of stuff, makes it sound like a fun story. But it's not a fun story. This is a terrible story. Think about it. For 40 days, chapter 7, verse 17, for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floats on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. A story like that doesn't call for songs like Arky Arky. A story like that calls for us to be silent. It's indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's judgment against sin is never pretty. And we can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like for those caught up in the flood. In fear and in desperation, they must have screamed for help and clambered up and up to get out of the way of the rising waters, only to realize at some point that they have nowhere the ark and its inhabitants floating on the water safe and sound in the hands of God. Now we're not told what was going on in the ark during the flood nor are we told what Noah and his family might have said or thought throughout the entire ordeal. They were human and so we can imagine that they must have been incredibly sad about what was going on and they must have had their moments of utter terror they must have wondered about what it was like to be caught up in the flood. And while the care of the animals must have kept them busy, yet as the days wore on, they probably also had a lot of time to reminisce about the past and about what they had experienced. And, but besides looking back, as we often tend to do when changing the calendar from one year to another, they must have also wondered about the future. Of course, they would. Would there be an end to the rain? How long will it take for the water to recede? 
Where have we floated to? Where will we end up? And once we end up there, what will it be like? Everything was wiped out, so what will we find? What's left? Can trees and plants grow, uh, just grow again? And what's the future for all these animals on, their, on board? What, what's their future going to be like? What's our future going to be like? Where are we going to live? How are we going to live? What are we going to live with? While they knew where they came from and what the world was like, we can be sure they probably never wanted to experience anything like the flood again. But they really had no idea where they were going, nor did they have any idea as to what they were going to find once they got there. They had very few answers to all their questions about the future. And certainly for the first number of months, and even up to the 150th day of the flood, the future must have looked very bleak. All they could see was water all around them. Where was the land? And like the stories of the people lost at sea and floating on a raft day after day, like Louis Zapparini in the book entitled Unbroken, the people aboard the ark must have wondered if they would ever walk on land again. And if they would, what would that be like? And then, and then we read those first words of chapter 8, which are words that speak to us of the gospel. Those are really words of grace in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind, or wind over the earth, and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. Noah. Now, it wasn't like God forgot the ark and all aboard, like we sometimes forget to pick up something. God didn't suddenly jerk to attention and go, oh, that's right, the ark is still floating there. God didn't forget his plan of salvation of which Noah and his family were an integral part. Now, the word to remember in this context comes from the root meaning to prick, to pierce, to print upon the memory, therefore to remember. It's not like God forgot Noah and those in the ark, but the way in which it's written here speaks volumes about how much God loves and cares for his people. They were engraved, they were etched in the palm of his hand, so to speak, and so now it became time for the Lord to act on their behalf and bring it to a point where Noah and his family could carry out the cultural mandate, namely to fill the earth and subdue it to the glory of God the Father. God remembered Noah. For 150 days, the waters flooded the earth, says verse 24. There was simply nothing, nothing was left alive. And then once the 150 days passed, it wasn't like the flood was gone at the snap of a finger. No, it took time for the waters to recede. Chapter 8, verse 5, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And what a sight those mountaintops must have been for Noah and his family. They must have been exhilarated to see mountaintops peeking out of the water on the first day of that month. In them, Noah read this, God has not forgotten to be gracious. 
The peaks spoke, the peaks told the inhabitants of the ark that there was a future for them. There was hope. They intellectually knew that, of course, because they were in an ark and they were floating and they were saved. But now it was becoming reality. And while they didn't know what was going to happen to them or what lay in the valleys between the mountains or what surprises they were going to discover as the water continued to recede, yet there was the security of God's hand as he upheld the ark. And now, now they saw with their own eyes the grand certainty in the mountaintops that God had not forgotten to be gracious. It must have filled them with hope. Last evening, we ended 2019. And as usual, over the last couple of weeks, the media has taken us back to the events of 2019 and even to the events of the last decade. And maybe together, when you were together last night with friends or with family, you spent some time thinking back to what was. Maybe you reflected on the decade that was, or maybe you took out calendars or pictures and reviewed the year that was. Oh yeah, we did that too, that's right. Today, as we walk into 2020, a new year and a new decade, we can file away the last couple of decades of this millennium. They are now history. And now at the dawning of a new year, there are always those inevitable questions. So what will the new year bring? We're aware of what the past brought, but now what about the future? And then while we may be able to make some educated guesses about the economy or the politics of the land and so on, we don't really know what's going to take place. In terms of our own lives or the life of our families, we really have no idea what to expect. Apparently, if I was to believe the stars, I'm going to have a so-so year this coming year because of where my birthday falls. And then my group is going to have kind of the most so-so year of all of you. We may have some events planned for 2020, like a vacation or a course of study or a marriage or, in my case, retirement or whatever, but all of the best laid plans come with the caveat that those things will happen if all goes well and according to plan. But who knows if all things will go well or according to plan? After all, perhaps this is the year when Jesus will return. Who knows? God knows. And that's why James writes, when we make plans, we ought to add the phrase, God willing. God willing we'll have a baby this year, or get married, or retire, or graduate, or get a new career, or whatever. We really can't predict what will happen in the coming year or decade, for that matter. The future, in many ways, is hazy and uncertain. Hazy and uncertain. But now think back for a moment to, to Noah and his family floating there in that ark. From the security of the ark, from the security of the hand of God, while he had no idea what was awaiting him, nonetheless Noah was allowed to see the mountaintops appearing above the waterline. Much of the world was still covered with water and so kept the future a hazy place, but seeing those peaks spoke to Noah, not only concerning God's grace, 
but also concerning his faithfulness to the plan of salvation. And so those peaks provided Noah with assurances despite the haziness of the world and the future. Now think of what I said a few moments ago about the new year we're entering. On this first day of the year, on this first day of the decade, we must confess that the future looks rather hazy. And yet, you know, if we are in Christ, if we belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death, as we just sang, then there are a few mountaintops, a few peaks, a few grand certainties that stand out for us in the future. And these are grand certainties, of course, that we accept by faith. So let me take you to a couple of the peaks. Let me point out a couple of the peaks. One of the peaks with which we enter the new year is the knowledge that even though we don't know what the new year holds, or even if we will see 2021, yet there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one, nothing can pluck us out of his hand, says the Bible. Despite all of the insecurities of life and of the future, yet we are secure in him. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it in answer 28, knowing that God is the creator and knowing that he has it all in his hands means that we can be patient throughout 2020 when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will be able to separate us from his love. That's one of the peaks that we see rising out of the fog of the year ahead. Actually, you know, the peak just mentioned could be seen as one peak in a whole mountain range that have to do with God's promises, the whole mountain range that have to do with God's promises. Because if there's anything we can count on and be certain of in the new year, it's God's promises. What promises? There's a whole bunch of them. I'll be a God to you and to your descendants after you throughout their generations. I'll be with you till the close of the age. I will protect you through the care of the Good Shepherd. And then there's the promises of the Holy Spirit and the daily care so that we don't need to worry in life. And we are constantly reminded, like Noah was as he floated in the ark, that underneath are the everlasting arms, or that we are safe in the arms of Jesus, and we're safe in the arms of a Lord who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And besides these assurances, besides these peaks, this mountain range, we can head into the new year with the assurance that because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead, all our sins are forgiven and God will not hold our sins against us. Like the Lord has written forgiven over every date of the calendar of 2019 so we can be assured that the Lord, because of Jesus, will do exactly the same thing in the new year. And because Jesus has risen from the dead and won the victory, we can also know that the sting of death has been removed. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? Thanks be to God who gave us the victory in Christ. 
And since Jesus rose from the dead, there's another peak of assurance. We are guaranteed by grace to also rise from the dead and live with him forever on the new earth. The truth of the gospel of grace has powerful implications for the future of, for those who are in Christ. For because of it, and because of the gift and faith, we even have a future. We have a future. A glorious future in Christ. These mountain peaks of God's grace stand out amidst all the haziness of 2020. But it doesn't end there because then, of course, there is the tallest of the mountain peaks, a peak that speaks of our Lord's return. Baxter puts it this way, quote, And there is that glory-capped peak, the hope of our Lord's return. The darker the times, the more resplendently it shines, gilding all the unknown tomorrows with its lovely guarantee of ultimate blessedness, unquote. We may not know what will happen in the future, but we certainly do know where all of history is headed, namely to the day when Jesus comes back again, and come he will. Those in the ark saw the peaks of the mountains above the water covering the valleys, those peaks spoke volumes of assurance and comfort to them concerning the faithfulness of the Lord as they asked questions about their future. Baxter ends his meditation with the following poem. Like sunlit peaks his mercies rise before my grateful wondering eyes. Then let me trust him and confess his endless glorious faithfulness. When you consider the year 2020, when you consider the new decade ahead and see only haze, behold the tops of the mountains and rejoice. Amen. Father in heaven, you've brought us to see the tops of the mountains. That's cool. That's exciting. The future is hazy, but there are those grand assurances of your promises and of the plan of salvation. That's what keeps us going. That's what allows us to enter this year with confidence. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for those mountain peaks. In Jesus. Amen.